How's everybody doing? Yeah. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I know it's not Easter, but every Sunday is an opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we worship on Sundays. And uh, I just want to welcome you. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're coming back from Easter, welcome. And if you're family, uh, welcome again to be back. I'm excited for what God is doing. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 5. And then you're going to hold that spot and open up to Luke chapter 19. And then we'll get there momentarily. But Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 19 is where we will start off this morning and this series that's coming up. Um, I just want to kind of tell you uh, of all the impactful pictures the Gospels paint of Jesus. I think one of the most powerfully impactful picture uh, is the way that the Gospel of Luke depicts Jesus Christ as our Savior and our champion, but not just our Savior and champion, but the Gospel of Luke uh, characterizes Jesus as champion to the marginalized and the oppressed. Now, I want you to know a few things this morning, and so stick with me before we get into the Word. I want you to know that Jesus fights for those who've been rejected by society. I want you to know that Jesus fights for those who've even been abandoned by the church. Come on, church, can we get an amen? Because a lot of times we think, well, society and culture rejects people, but the church abandons people as well. And I want you to know Jesus champions those that have been rejected and abandoned. I want you to know that Jesus loves to receive and call to himself those who have been labeled as misfits, outcasts, and rebels. And I want you to know that Jesus proves time and time again, over and over again, that there was no one too far from God. That the same person that man disqualifies, Jesus loves to come and qualify and say, come to me. Now, as I was kind of preparing for this next couple of weeks, this sermon series, and I hope that you would join us if you're here for the first time. If you don't have a home church, I'd love for you to come back and visit again and just join us for this series. But I have two prayers for this sermon series that I want to share with you um, this morning, and then we'll pray those prayers together. My first prayer is for the church. I'm praying that we'd repent. I'm praying that we repent. I'm praying that we would be made more aware of those self-righteous attitudes that misrepresent God and cause us to overlook the very people he's calling to himself. I'm praying, church, that we would be more compassionate because even though we follow a compassionate champion, our, as people, sometimes we're not compassionate. And I'm praying that you and I would be more self-aware of how we tend to disqualify people based on their behaviors. My second prayer is I pray for those in this room that feel far from God today. And my prayer for you is a little bit different than my prayer for the church. Please, if you feel a little far disconnected this morning or you feel like you're not quite sure, um, listen to, to my prayer. I'm praying that you would let your guard down. I'm praying that you'd allow your walls to come down so that you can learn to trust Jesus with all that you have. And this is going to be difficult, but hear me out. I pray that you learn to trust him, even when trusting him means doubting your feelings. 
I pray that you will learn to trust him, even when trusting him means doubting your feelings. I can't tell you how many times I've seen good men and women walk away from God or good men and women reject Jesus because his word started to collide with their feelings. And I want you to know that faith is most active and most strengthened when you can believe in spite of what your feelings are saying. And I really, really want to pray today, if you feel far from God this morning, that you would just put your guard down just for today so you would listen to the word of the Lord. Amen? Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that, Jesus, you are our champion. And I'm praying for the church of Christ this morning, not just here in Union City, but in the entire United States, all over the world. I'm praying that the religious, legalistic, self-righteous, tribal, territorial, political mentality, we would rip that down and tear it apart. And so that we would represent a new city, a new kingdom, and a new way, a, a, a new president, a messiah, a deliverer, a champion, and a savior. I pray that the church would champion the right causes. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here feeling distant, feeling far from you, feeling hurt and wounded by the church, I pray that they would look beyond the church and see their champion, Jesus. I pray that we'd put walls down and despite our feelings and our emotions, I pray that we would receive by faith your word for our lives this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. At a real young age, I remember going to catechism. For whatever reason, my parents sent me to catechism. And I remember at that real young age, um, this, this, uh, this priest over there, he was teaching me prayers and, and, and the Bible. And I, I think I want to say I was like seven or eight years old. And I think that's when I really felt the first tug on my heart for the Lord. But as we moved on from there, we moved to Hayward, California. I kind of forgot about that. And then I started testing the waters and, and grew more apart from him to a point where I forgot about him. And a lot, of, a lot of those things occurred where, you know, just running the streets, robbed, stole, cheated, been shot at, returned fire, been in jail, uh, been jumped. I think seeing my father and, and his buddies and, and thinking that was the norm, the normal life, like I seen them, they seemed to have fun, right, of course, during the day. And um, of course, at night, it'd be a different story when they come home drunk or something like that, or, you know, cops be knocking at the door, but my mother, she started going to church and that's what kind of started this whole process she started going to church because she was fed up with it and then, and i would be the guy in the back hung over that was dragged to church a teenager in the back hung over listening to the sermon but halfway asleep so some of it stuck to me but most of the time i just i didn't want nothing to do with it i was just hung over like get me out of here i can't wait to go with my friends i have to go because i live in her house and then i think at 17 i moved out with my friends and there goes there was my life started spiraling down spiraling downhill even more after that I had a buddy who sold drugs. I had a buddy. I had buddies who were all in gangs. I had uh, guys who were with, same with me, ladies' man, all kind. We were just a, a big mashup group of guys just trying to live life, thinking that you know this is it. I actually went to jail and I was facing some serious time, up to five years. And um, it was basically, I it's almost like a shootout with the cops. I mean, I did, they didn't they didn't return fire on me, but I I let off 17 rounds in the air, and and 
and the cops arrested me and I went to jail and they charged me for a felon and I, I was drunk that night too but I remember scenes from that night where I was they had tased me and I was going to the floor because you know all the bolts going through and I, I happened to look to the side and I seen my son and my daughter and my son was on the porch in his diapers and my daughter was right there and they were just crying their head off I'm like dad dad and I was, what am I doing you know and that stuck with me I want to let you know of all the professions that existed during the time of Christ none were more despised than the profession of the tax collector the tax collector was a traitor you see, this is why he was considered a traitor. He took from his home people, he took from his own people, he took from his home Israel, and he gave it to their enemy, Rome. Tax collectors were literally paying the occupiers to occupy. Tax collectors were not just considered traitors, but they were also considered apostates. Well, what do I mean by that? Not only did they take from God's people, but they would also give what they took from God's people to a Caesar from a pagan nation who he himself considered himself to be a God. You see, a tax collector to the Jewish people was a traitor and was also an apostate. And lastly, a tax collector was an extortionist. He was a crook. Because he took more than what was required, not just fulfilling his obligation to Rome, but making sure that he got rich in the process. I guess you could say that for many tax collectors, it was money over everything. Money over loyalty, money over morality, and even money over God. You could kind of think that they were kind of the original hustlers of Israel. And it's no wonder why the Jewish society regarded them as low lives they were considered so shady and the characters that they surrounded themselves with were so suspect that rabbis even banned tax collectors from attending the synagogues it wasn't unusual to see them traveling with an entourage full of rebels since they extorted money they surrounded themselves with violent men thugs and enforcers it was, also to call to, it was also common to see them mixing with local prostitutes and known criminals. And this is why it was meant to be insulting and discrediting when they said to Jesus in Luke chapter 7 verse 34, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, Jesus was guilty for hanging out with this crowd. I want you to get this. To the self-righteous, no holy man of respectable rep reputation would ever dare spend any significant amount of time with that kind of people. You know that kind of people. But to the humble in here this morning, to those that understand the depravity of their own sin, to those that understand their own nakedness before the Lord, this actually doesn't discredit Jesus, but it validates him and his kingdom. You see, what they tried to use to disqualify him, no holy man would ever hang out in that kind of crowd. It was actually what makes him our champion. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you can open up with me to Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 27 through 32. And then we're going to read Luke 19, 1 through 10. These are two different stories, two different tax collectors in Luke. 
that encountered Jesus. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke. We're first going to go into Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. Two different stories from two different tax collectors that encountered Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32 reads like this. After this, he went out, that's referring to Jesus, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, if you can go with me to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Again, that's the story of the tax collector named Levi. This is another story of the tax collector named Zacchaeus. Anybody remember that story? For those of you that maybe went, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed upon the sycamore tree. Okay, I'm going to stop singing because all the church people are singing. Everyone's like, what? I'm out. Right? Just messing with you. We're going to sing that song for worship, amen? Can you imagine that? Teaching you the Bible. You didn't even know. You know the Bible. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 19, 1 through 10, reads like this. Again, Jesus, and he, Jesus, entered Jericho and passing through, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I want to take a moment to point out three similarities and three individual strengths from each tax collector. And so we'll look at the similarities, and then we'll go and we'll look at some differences, but I consider those differences to be the individual strengths of these tax collectors. So starting with the three similarities, here's the first similarity I want you to see. Notice in both stories, Jesus enters into their homes. He enters into their space. He enters into their lives. He meets them where they are. This is significant. Why? Because Israel's rabbis were supposed to represent God to the people. 
Now watch. By forbidding tax collectors to enter the synagogue, they were abusing their power and misrepresenting God. So the moment Jesus steps into their home, he provides them with a healing. He provides them with a corrective experience. He provides them with an opportunity. Those that have been wounded by the church, those that have been kicked out because they're far too rebellious to enter into any type of holy place, the Holy One comes to them. Are you with me? You see, religion has taught our tax collectors a few things. Religion and legalism has taught that you must come to God's house, but you can't come unless you're clean. But Jesus says, I'm going to your house, and I don't care if you're dirty or not. Religion has taught them you must come to God's house. But you can't come unless you're clean. But Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house, and I don't care how dirty you are, and I don't care what anybody has to say about it. Now, in this moment, Jesus is not only their champion, but he's also the Father's champion. What God's ministers twisted, God's Messiah corrected. And Jesus accomplishes what the rabbis couldn't accomplish, and Jesus displays what the rabbis couldn't display. You ready? The true heart of the Father. Number two, I want you to notice in both stories, Jesus is criticized for meeting them where they're at. I want you to please take note of this. The religious spirit is more worried about reputation and opinion than it is actually worried about souls. This is going to sting for some of you. Some of you, you're safe, so breathe easy. But some of you, you're not. The religious spirit much, would much rather kick you out to save face than to come to you and lose popularity. It would much rather see the church clean but full of actors than dirty and full of real people. I once heard a pastor say, I want the kind of church where you can't put your wallet and feel safe about it on the seat. Why, pastor? Because somebody might steal it. Why would you want a church like that? That's because the rebels are coming to our church. Jesus Christ is our perfect champion because he's willing to lay down his reputation to find the lost. To the church, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to check our attitudes. If we grumble before we give, if complaint comes before compassion, if we're more concerned about what others will say instead of what others are, that others are being saved, then we've lost our championship mentality. Some of us think we're being a witness. Some of us think we're being like Christ when we get up and we leave to protest and events. But that's not what Jesus did. Number three, finally, notice in both stories, Jesus uses criticism as an opportunity to reinforce the mission. I don't think this is just a Pharisee problem. I think 
This is a church problem. You see, we have a tendency to protect what God has done by neglecting all that he wants to do. Let me explain what I mean. It's easy to become satisfied with where we are at. To pat ourselves on the back and become complacent as if the mission has been accomplished. I mean, look at us. We've grown so much in the past year and a half. We've gone to the Philippines and we're going again. We're increasing in giving and we're increasing in membership. And there's great attendance taking place. And rah, 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 look how beautiful the church is. And look what God is doing. And sometimes churches become so satisfied with what they have, they begin to get inward focus in all of the programs and all of the ideas and all of the messages are geared to preach to the pretty people that come in every Sunday morning but there is no roll call there is no passion behind the mission there's nobody looking at you in the eye and saying where are what are you doing for Christ outside of a Sunday morning who are you talking to who are you who are you mixing with whose space are you invited to I want to challenge some of you get in the space of somebody where other religious people look at you like why are you hanging with them now, I recognize somebody like, well, wait a minute, I don't know, I don't, want them, I don't want to fall into temptation, and I get that, but here's what I'm saying is Jesus, our champion, taught us to be on mission. Are you with me? It would be easy for us to stop, to protect what we have, and develop programs only to meet the needs of those who are already in this house. But what about the lost? You know what I call churches that get so wrapped up within themselves? They're in the house, but they're lost in their own house. If we're going to be a championship church, we're going to have to remember that champions champion the mission. Jesus said, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the righteous who need repentance. But I came to seek and save the lost. And if we are not winning souls as a church, if we're not winning the lost, if you're not living on mission as a Christian, then you're not representing the heart of our champion. And I want to inspire you. I want to convict you, encourage you, challenge you, whatever you, whatever word feels better, grab it. That if you are called to be a follower of Christ, you're called to champion the mission of Christ outside of these walls. Those are three similarities, and now I want to talk about three individual strengths demonstrated in this message. Notice, number one, Zacchaeus is a seeker. Did you guys see that? Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, but Zacchaeus comes looking for Jesus. Even though Jesus will go to his house, he first has come to see Jesus. Now, I want to talk to someone who is struggling with their faith this morning for a moment. If you're feeling far from God, I want to talk to you this morning. You see, even though Zacchaeus had been hurt by the rabbis, rejected by the synagogues, and even though he most likely despised the entire religious system, it didn't stop him from seeking an encounter with Christ. I want you to know, you ready for this? Leaders will fail you. Can I come a little bit closer? I'm going to fail you. If you continue to attend this church 
and you think that I am always going to do right by you, you will be severely mistaken. And if you allow me to take a place in your life that only God should take, I'm going to hurt you. Men will fail you. Churches will fail you. Leaders will fail you. And somebody once said, well, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You're right. Join us. You are one too. Let's have a hypocrite party. He sure does. I want you to know leaders will fail you. Churches will frustrate you. Hmm. Small groups will frustrate you. You know, I think, you know, here I go, soapbox time, right? I think when we start looking at small groups as if, what am I getting from it versus what I'm going to give to it? Maybe that would change everything. You know, it's not a priority in our lives because it doesn't do anything for us. But maybe you should do something for it because community and the power of the body of Christ coming together. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, I'm stopping. I'm not talking about you, I promise. Some of you are like, he has me in mind. I don't. I really don't. Ready for this? Leaders will fail you. Churches will frustrate you. And rules won't be able to change you. But Jesus has the power to keep you. Ask Zacchaeus. He had meant the system and the system kicked him out. So why was he seeking Jesus? I honestly believe that deep down in his heart, he knew that what he truly needed was a savior and not a system. He needed a savior and not a system. Second, individual strength. Zacchaeus was a seeker. But did you notice Levi's an evangelist? I love this. Levi not only invites Jesus to his house, but then he fills his house with a bunch of his boys and introduces them to Jesus. I don't know if you saw that, but he was like, yo, Jesus, come to my place. And he said, I got all the tax collectors over, right? Some of us were like, well, brother, I can't go there. You know, you're a thug I can deal with, but all your thug friends, I just can't. If Pastor Phil sees me there, he's just, if someone from church, I'm not going to be as holy. If I just, I don't know, I'm a little nervous. Hmm. We got this thing backwards, don't we? And it happens. It happens to me. But Levi's an evangelist. He invites Jesus over. He's got all his boys reclining at the table. And you know what they're doing? They're cussing. Oh, my God. (laughs) And they're drinking and they're getting drunk. Oh, my gosh. Right? Uh, people used to ask this question to me as a youth pastor. Some of you have been in my youth ministry know this. I've probably said this before. But even as a church, it's true. You know, how do you revive a dead youth ministry? Or how do you revive a dead church? It just seems like everyone's so dead and quiet and nobody's really just, you know, no, no one's excited. There's no passion. You know, how do you, how do you resurrect, you know, a dead ministry, a passionate ministry? And one of the things I used to always say and even think of is, um, Go save the lost. For some reason, after we've known the Lord for a a little bit, we stop telling others about Jesus. It's like we become more fearful and timid. Are you with me? 
We become more worried about what other people might say or if I'm going to offend them. I don't know if I want to say that because that might offend them. You know, society, you know, I just don't want to. And all of a sudden, we just, we just become more timid and we hide. And it's just so interesting. But one thing I, I want to challenge you with this morning, as we grow in holiness, may we never be too far removed from sinners. May we never act like our stuff don't stink. As we grow far from sin, and we're never going to grow away from sin, y'all. We're in this, we're in this, we are sin. Even when we're trying to do right, we're still full of selfishness because we want someone to see us. Post it on Facebook. Look what I did today. Even in our righteous acts are filthy. Right? But as we, there is sanctification that is taking place. The Holy Spirit is moving us in holiness and, and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying some sins that used to so easily ensnare us. We're beginning to remove ourselves with. And so it is true to say that and may we ever, never act like our stuff doesn't seem. May we grow far from sin. May we choose to be close to the sinner even though we may be growing far from the sin. You know, in Levi's story, the religious leaders grumbled. <laughs> In response to their grumbling, you know what Jesus tells them? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you want to know what's even challenging to me? The tax collector is more missional than the pastor. You know, and I recognize this as I got into ministry and full-time ministry. And it's something that us as leaders, we have to fight and combat. But sometimes we can get up in our our offices and stay in there for so long that it's like when's the last time you have ever talked to somebody who doesn't know Jesus well I do it every Sunday morning and I we can justify that and we become a pastor it's all mission don't get me wrong discipleship from the Sunday morning is a primary task for a pastor and we all have different uh, arenas in which we execute the mission I, I don't but I would like to even say that even as a pastor it's important for me to make sure that I'm on mission even outside of these four walls that my next door neighbors know about Jesus. Sometimes we like our friends and our neighbors to know about us. I'm a Christian, don't do that. They need to know about Jesus. They don't need to know about what offends you or what doesn't. They don't know nothing about your sanctification process. They need to know something about your Savior who has the power to move them through that. How's your toes? I know I'm stepping on them a little bit. Number three, finally, Zacchaeus will become a philanthropist. <laughs> and Levi will become an apostle. You know, Zacchaeus goes from being a chief taker. Scripture calls him not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus goes from being a chief taker to a big giver overnight. He'll start one of the greatest nonprofit programs probably mentioned in the Gospels. He'll restore to everyone that he's taken from fourfold, and he'll give half his goods to the poor. Scripture says he was a rich man. You see, the champion has inspired Zacchaeus to become a champion. Levi will go from an apostate, stealing God's money from God's people and giving it to Caesar, who thinks himself as a god, to an apostle. Did you know that this Levi is actually Matthew, the disciple? And you know what Matthew does? Matthew writes, Levi writes the book of Matthew. 
And I want you to see how the champion makes him a champion. Matthew will end up writing the Gospel of Matthew. And you know what the Gospel of Matthew is? It's a book written specifically to convert Jews to Christ. You know, the Gospels are all written to a particular group of people. Now, we come and we benefit from that. But if you read the book of Matthew, you'll realize that he includes in Matthew a genealogy. Now, why would a Gentile care about a genealogy? Like, okay, who cares? But for a Jew looking for the Messiah that comes from a particular line, it's important. If you read the book of Matthew, you'll see him. He'll reference Old Testament prophets. This was done to fulfill what this prophet said. Now, why would a Gentile care what some Jewish prophet would say? It's because Matthew wasn't writing to the Gentiles. He was writing to the Jews. Here's how the champion made him a champion. Are you ready? Matthew writes a gospel written specifically to convert Jews to Christ. God will send him back to the very system that hurt him in order that he might save them wow wow Wow. now i want you to think about this i want you to think about this and um and i really want you to kind of just take this in both men transformed you ready for this not so that christ could accept them but because Christ had accepted them. Wait, both men transformed, not because Christ had accepted, not because Christ, for Christ to accept them, but because Christ had accepted them. I want you to see this. Jesus doesn't say, get right, and then I'll come to you. He doesn't say, get perfect, and then come to church. Get clean. That's impossible. It's impossible for us to get right, get clean, Get sanctified without the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Some of us need to hear that. I know that's elementary, but we know that in theory. We don't know that in our heart. Can you let this seep in your heart? Jesus is going to come to you even if you're unclean. You don't need to get right. Some of us were like, we were one of those people. It's like, well, if I step into a church, that whole place is going to fall down. Well, it's still up. This is what I love about our Savior, and this is what I love about that story. They don't change And Jesus comes, Jesus comes, and then they change. Can I say that again? They don't change, and then Jesus comes. But Jesus comes, and then they change. And you see radical transitions because what? The Savior came, not the system. And the Savior dared to put his reputation on the line and say, I'm your champion. And I will go with you. In fact, I'm going to go to your place for two reasons. I'm going, to break the, I'm going to break the legalism that's held you bound. And I'm also going to do it in front of all these people so they can see what the Father's heart truly is. Because all of these people have been misrepresenting God for too long. And now God himself has come to provide a corrective, provide a corrective experience. Grew up in a family where my uh, my father was an alcoholic, and um, I was also blessed that we survived that. And my mother, she started going to church, and that's what kind of started this whole process. She started going to church because she was fed up with it, and then and she started bringing him in little by little. And one day, his heart changed from seeing him from where he came from, from an alcoholic, and living the life that I was trying to follow, and for him to change his life and dedicate his life to the Lord. He he raised up my sister in church, and for me to see someone from a baby to where she is now, into church and how blessed she is. And he gave me a lot of hope. My, my, my heart started opening up again to those feelings I had when I went to catechism. I, I knew something was calling me, something was wrong. 
And so I, uh, I started little by little changing and, and trying to follow, follow, uh, follow Lord's footsteps. So there's one couple of verses in Luke that stuck out this past week. And it was when Jesus told the people, he said, um, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come for the righteous, but for the sinners. And in a way, it kind of spoke to me because I felt coming to church that, you know, I was a rebel and I was an outcast. I was just, you know, this person in the world who didn't fit in. Like if these people knew who I was in my past life, would they let me in their house? You know, would they invite me in their house and be so open with me? But I'm blessed to come to Inspire and, and everyone here is so open arms and welcoming and, and, and I know that church is where I belong. I, I don't. I no longer feel like an outcast or a rebel. I feel like I belong there. I, I need to be there. Uh, I know my family depends on me. Everyone at church accepts me. Jesus has shown me the way and the light of, of, who, of the man I need to be. I have a beautiful wife who fulfills all my needs. No longer need to chase any ladies around. I have the one wife who, who takes care of me in every which way. I have a beautiful family. And uh, he has taught me to, to change my, he softened my heart. He chills away in my heart. And my house before might have been a house of partying and everyone come over, but now it's a house of worship. We have small groups there at our house. It's, it's so awesome. Um, I'm teaching my kids the way that they should be raised up and it gives me great joy just to see them. If they have questions, they come and talk to me and I have answers for them. And if I don't, I can lean on my church family to, to help me out with that. But just overall, I mean, looking at where I was at and where I am now, I just thank God every day and I do not want to live that life anymore. This is what I want right now for me and my family and hopefully God just keeps us. <laughs> Manny, we love you, Manny. Manny, Andrea, we love you so much. Stand up, Manny. I want to tell you that God is just doing a great thing in his life. Um, Dre, you can stand up too. We love you guys so much. You know, you, I want to say just real quick, I won't, I won't embarrass you guys too much, but you guys, when Jamila and I, we think about planting this church, we think about, um, we think about people that make us smile, and you guys are, are one of those, and your story, and, you know, I know it hasn't been easy, and um, you've held on, and, you know, and it's not going to be easy, but you have Christ now, and I'm so proud of you both. Uh, they got a chance to lead a small group. It was so funny because we all do small groups together. I called them last minute. I said, hey, guys, I got a last-minute call here. Can you guys lead it? Manny and Andrea stood up, uh, stepped up. And I know Andrea was the prayer warrior kind of alongside. I know Manny led the small group. And I'm sure, you know, while he was popping 17 shots in the air, he didn't know, but God knew. Amen. So you guys are champions. We love you guys so much. Come on, round of applause for them. They serve in the children's ministry. Just amazing things. We're going to finish this morning, and I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm so excited. We got some special testimonies coming this uh, your way in the next couple of weeks from this series. But here's what I want to share with you. A few years ago, before my wife and I planted this church, and after we had already stepped down from a previous ministry we were in, my wife and I, we were invited to a barbecue by some, of, some friends of mine that I had known in high school. And when we had got there... We were greeted by obscene music, lots of alcohol, and a couple of my old buddies smoking weed in the backyard. And I could remember feeling so much tension on the inside of me. I mean, how could they invite me to this? They know what I believe. 
They know where I stand. After all, I'd been a youth pastor for several years and was now preparing to plant my church. They knew that. I mean, what would people say if they saw me? What kind of example would I be setting for my young people if I was attending this kind of barbecue? And as thoughts like these ran through my head, I finally decided enough was enough. It's time to leave. So I got up and I went on a mission to find my wife, which I do often even in church, amen? (laughs) And I went on a mission to find my wife and I thought to myself, I want to leave before my clothes start to smell like weed. I remember looking for her everywhere until somebody told me, hey, you should probably try upstairs. I think she went upstairs. And I remember walking upstairs and I could hear my wife's voice in the bedroom and I began to strategize, right, men? I began to strategize how I'm going to interrupt the conversation and make it known, babe, it's time to go. As I kind of peeked around the corner, Walked inside the bedroom. I'll never forget what I saw. My wife was there. Her head bowed. Her eyes closed. And her hands placed on one of my buddy's wife's shoulders who was breaking down in tears. And I remember that so vividly. And I remember hearing the Lord speak something to my heart. I felt like this is what he was saying. You may not want to be here, but I am here. You may think this is where you don't belong, but this is exactly where I want you to be. There's two things I learned that day. Number one, sometimes we can get so hung up on what things look like on the outside that we miss the incredible opportunities to minister to what's on the inside. Don't fall for smoke screens. You know what a smoke screen is. You know what a a diversion is. The enemy loves to pop diversions off to take your eyes off the mission. And you begin to focus on how terrible it is or how bad this person is or how I just can't be in this place. And the enemy is saying leave and Jesus is saying stay. Some of us think we're hearing the Holy Spirit in that moment. Some of you are. Can I just... I had to tiptoe because it doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to go party. Pastor Phil said, yeah. I want to tell you, when Jesus went into a place, he didn't go into the place to look like the place. He came in there to shine the light. I'm not giving you a license now. I have to say that because our sin nature, right, it works. I'm talking to the church all the time, but I got to talk to some of y'all a little rough around the edges. Here's what I am saying. Hear my heart. Don't fall for the smoke screens, the pops, the sounds, the fireworks. The enemy wants you to run away and God say, you know, listen to the voice. And I'm speaking to you in this moment. I'm telling you, you may want to leave, but I need you to stay because there's a divine appointment in the midst of this chaos. Don't fall for the smoke screens. Follow the leading of the champion and let's become a church that learns to meet people where they are. You know, what's crazy is stop inviting people to church. And start being the church. That's going to be tough for some of you. I'm going to let Pastor Phil preach the gospel. He does it so much better. No, 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 no. As a disciple of Christ, your testimony, your life, your relational connection with them. You know why people don't come to church all the time? Because inviting the church doesn't really work, to be honest. It does, but it does. I'm going to tell you something. Be Jesus where they're at and the whole everything else will come. 
You with me? Is, is there anybody in the house? Anybody understand what I'm saying today? Number one, sometimes we get so hung up on what things look like on the outside that we miss incredible opportunities to represent the champion on the inside. Number two, and this is actually because of, number two is because of number one. Sometimes we miss opportunities because we think, we think that this is the last place Jesus wants to be. But it's actually the first place he wants to go. I, this is not biblically correct. I'm gonna, this is going to be really, um, I'm going to say something like shock jock value, okay? So hear my heart here. But sometimes I think he'd much rather be in the streets than some of the churches that are going on on Sunday mornings. Don't get me wrong. He's with the body of Christ. I, I believe that. And I believe he wants, he, he's glorified here. But I just think that there are some churches that I think Jesus is probably like, what time's this thing end? Because I want to be in the streets. And so this morning, I challenge the church. And I love those that feel far from him. I challenge the church to say to open your eyes to mission. Be mature about the mission, but be open. Can you hear the voice of the Spirit Monday morning when you walk into work? Can you walk in and say to yourself, I know I have a job to do physically, but spiritually, I'm going to listen to you throughout the day. And there might be a word that I want to give. There might be somebody, and I don't have to give them the whole gospel in five minutes. But how can I display the love of Jesus today? Can we be that church? So I challenge church. And for those of you, we're going to pray here. Everyone in here that may feel far from God, I want you to forget what you've been told. Forget that crazy religious like family member who I'm sure loves the Lord. God bless their heart, but they've actually chased you away from church, not close to the church. Right? There's so much. Forget the wounds that other people have misrepresented God, and they may have done it well-meaning, but in the end, it wasn't Jesus. Will you just lay the walls down, the guard down, and will you just say, you know what, Jesus, this thing is about you, and I want to enter into your story, and I want to know you, and I don't want a system of rules and laws to govern me because they can't. They're just going to be broke. I just want to trust Jesus. And if that's you in here today, I want to invite you. This morning's an opportunity to just put your trust in him. What do I mean by that? Put your faith in him. I just mean you don't need to do anything crazy. You don't need to come up and, you know, you, don't, you can be right where you're at in a hotel trying to be a church. And you go right where you're at, in your seat, in a very private place with the Lord. Put your faith in him. Say, you know what, Jesus? I am far and distant from you. I, I don't even think I know you too well. Or maybe I think I know you, but I don't know you. I know what people have told me, and I don't like it. But that's not you. And so if that's you, I want to invite you just right where you're at. Just a couple of things. The Bible says if you would just believe and you would repent, if you would just say, you know what, I'm not, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I thought, you know what, I fall short. I don't need anybody to tell me that. But I know that you're my savior. I know you're my champion. I know you lived the perfect life, right? Where you're at, I'm a sinner, but you are the savior. And this morning, I don't know much, but I just want to know you. I want to know everything else. I want to know you. Will you just ask him, you know, I want to come, in, come into my life. 
I repent of my sin and I'm asking Holy Spirit you ask Jesus will you strengthen me I'm not going to be perfect after leaving this place but I, I've heard that if I, if, I, if I just go after you that you'll take care of the rest I'm not going to ask any questions if you would repent and believe that he is Jesus that he is your Lord and Savior that he resurrected so that you could have new life I'm going to tell you something if you would just do that he'd be yours and you would be his and he'll begin to do the rest so I pray for anyone in this room that feels far from God. Maybe they heard Manny's testimony this morning and because he was bold to share some of the things that would shame him, but he shared it for the glory of God to feign Jesus. Maybe you've heard some of those stories and you're like, you know what, I can, I can identify with some of that. I just ask Holy Spirit, you would move and I pray that this would be a church on mission. I'll give you a moment where you're at. You just put your faith in Jesus. It's right where if you feel far. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I put my faith in you. Will you teach me? And church, will you repent? Will you repent for a moment? You say, oh, I don't need to repent. Yeah, you do. Will you repent from your, the tribal mentality? Will you repent from your prejudice? labeling people fearing particular groups can we just repent of that I, I know we're full of sin and, but Father we repent if there's anything I've done to misrepresent your love I repent we move towards you Father we love you we thank you you're our champion we honor you Jesus we lift you up in this place and we thank you for what you're doing not just in this church, but what you're doing all over the Bay Area. You love the Bay. You love the Bay. And you're calling a righteous people, but a loving people to stand up and go to those that nobody would go to because you haven't abandoned us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Look, I love you guys so much. Invite you to come back next Sunday. And then be a champion this week. Remember who the main champion is. And just let's be on mission as a church. We love you guys. God bless you guys.